So in sixth grade, I had the unfortunate experience of being a victim. And I was a victim of card counterfeiting. I was a pretty big Yu-Gi-Oh fan. Would always go into the lunchroom and play. Had a bunch of friends. We all played together. And one of my friends happened to walk in with the legendary guard card, one of which was the God of Raw. And it just so happened that this God of Raw was counterfeit. But I didn't learn this until a year later when he revealed it to me. And I spent a whole $10 on that card. And today we're going to talk about how gaming in the future might be able to prevent this through cryptographic assets. This week on Sweating the Small Stuff. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Sweating the Small Stuff, a show where we sweat over the details that make our world richer. I'm your personal brain trainer and host, Cameron Boozer Jamari, and today I'm joined by that incredible narrator and our special guest of the day. Hi, I'm Jesse Bonanno. Thanks for having me on, Cam. So, Jesse, as I understand, you have been horribly wronged in the sixth grade by this playground ruffian. It was terrible. You can tell it still scars me to this day. Every time we talk. But what I wanted to talk to you about today was how interesting what played out there is in the realm of really all these card games, Yu-Gi-Oh!, Pokemon!, Magic the Gathering, Hearthstone, if you don't know what I'm talking about, it's okay. We're about to explain why it matters in a second. But the real stuff here is you have this problem. You have these cards, right? Like, I don't remember. Do you, other than Yu-Gi-Oh!, which of these card games are you familiar with? I played a lot of Magic the Gathering as well. And in all those games, there's scarcity, right? There's supposed to be like only like X number of actual raw cards or X number of I don't know what kind of Magic the Gathering Planeswalker cards you Mm -hmm. would have to deal with, but there's only supposed to be X number of them in the entire world to be used in games, right? That's right. And so the vendor who's going to be minting these cards usually has that predetermined and puts that in the packs. However, they don't typically disclose these. And Mm -hmm. so it's kind of up to them whether or not they want to print more or they want to create something that is a little bit more scarce or rare. And that's completely at their discretion. So when little Billy showed up on the playground and he had a raw, it's really hard for you to tell, hey, this is not an actual raw card because there's only like one of them in the world and it's somewhere in, I don't know, Poland, as opposed to this kid managed to find it and he's giving it to you for the low, low price of $10. I know. I probably should have seen it coming. Yeah. I feel like if I was in your shoes, I probably would end up paying 20 anyway. And I don't even play that much Yu-Gi-Oh! But- (laughs) What's interesting here is this is a problem that isn't just limited to paper cards. It's it's a weird problem that can go into the digital space in the form of all sorts of different doodads and things you can get. And the most obvious analogy here is Hearthstone, right? I believe Blizzard's popular combat card game. Yes, that's correct. Although I do believe with Hearthstone, they do disclose the rates of like how likely you are to get something. And actually with Magic the Gathering Arena, which is Magic's online card game, they disclose the rates as well. What gets into a little bit more interesting territory, and we don't necessarily need to go down this direction, is with loot boxes, Mm -hmm. where those are randomized and the rates are not disclosed, and children are just buying them up with mommy and daddy's credit cards without knowing better. And what's wild about those is, on the one hand, you have the cards, the, the actual card games, the point of buying these card game packs is you want to get the specific cards that are going to help you play the game better. It's going to help have synergy in how you build your deck and how these actual card games work. For any of you who aren't familiar with card games, the 
basic principle is always the same. There are certain cards. Each card has a certain ability. Certain cards will pair well together. And as you build this deck of cards, they will try to achieve the outcome of the game. In some games, it's trying to eliminate your uh, opponent's hit points. In other games, no, that's usually it. And then when we switch over to loot boxes, we have this bigger problem, which is they don't make you play any better. Whatever skins you get, whatever voice lines you get, whatever sprays you get, whatever like skins you get for your guns. And just to be clear, a skin literally just refers to how something looks. So a cosmetic item, it's a cosmetic. That's a perfect description for it. It's literally superficial. It has no impact over how your character plays or how your character interacts in the game. It only affects how like they might do emotes or how they physically look on the screen. And what's interesting here is exactly like you pointed out, there is no reason to even give the variability because realistically loot boxes are only for the individual, right? It's I'm the only one who wants to get those skins or get those emotes or get those voice lines. Yeah, so what's interesting is as we bridge the gap between physical card games and digital card games, physical card games allow us to have a secondary market where you can trade cards for other cards, you can trade cards for dollars, you can trade cards for favors, and in digital card games, you really don't see this as much. What winds up happening is they'll implement some sort of crafting system where in exchange for playing a number of games and or winning a number of games, you will receive some sort of resource that you can then use to create new cards that you would want for your deck. There's no real interaction with other players. This is unfortunate, but as we talk more about looking forward and what blockchain technology might be able to help us with here is you being able to own your cards, even in a digital sense, and being able to, in a peer-to-peer way, give someone another card outside of the game itself. Yes, he did say blockchain. Don't worry. It's not that kind of episode. So a big thing here is we're bridging this gap between the real world and the the digital world. In the real world, there is this problem of scarcity because you are only going to mint so many physical cards and you know exactly how many of them you actually created, but it's really hard to get that information out there. So at the same time, you have a bigger problem with counterfeiters because it's this open space where anyone could realistically come along and make a fake card. And so... What'll happen is you know exactly how many of each card you have printed, but it also means that counterfeiters can come along and make fake versions of that card. So it's harder for the manufacturer to track what's going on in the marketplace because they don't have control over who's buying and selling there. The flip side is as digital cards, they're limited to the game, right? Like they can't exist outside of the game. I can't pull them out of Hearthstone and give them to my friend who can now put it into his Hearthstone game, right? That's correct. And so that's a big problem is like when we play video games, whatever we get in that game, it doesn't actually belong to us. It still in a way still belongs to that game and it's not our thing. And the weirder part is that at any time, the person who runs that platform, Hearthstone, Overwatch, Counter-Strike, any of these video games where you can get these loot boxes and skins and whatever – They can make as many of them as they want because it's digital. It's just bits. Mm -hmm. In addition to that, they could, for one reason or another, shut down. Mm -hmm. And then you you suddenly lose all of these cards or goods that you purchased in the game, which is not something you would like to happen either. And as you were explaining to me before we started recording, there is apparently a – this is a big thing with Counter-Strike where Counter-Strike skins are so sought after and so valuable – 
that there's entire third-party marketplaces where those people are never going to get actual control of the skin. They just happen to be a place where people can auction off their skins or figure out ways to trade skins, right? Yeah, so they they can still trade skins using third-party sites and be able to obtain these skins. But what Valve has had a hard time doing, specifically with CSGO, is trying to prevent betting with those skins. Mm -hmm. And the unfortunate reality that a lot of kids are playing these games and suddenly are getting hooked into these gambling sites Mm -hmm. using skins as another means of currency. For instance, if you get a rare, you know, Dragon Lore skin, you might not realize its intrinsic value until you've lost it. And this is a double-edged sword for Valve. And for anyone who doesn't know, Valve is the company behind the popular game distribution platform Steam and also the creators of the Counter-Strike game. And what's a problem for them is that they've created a what's known as a non-fungible good. It means that there are these skins out there, but because they look different, they do not have the same value to each other. And they, they look different down to, like, if you're buying skins for your weapons, they can have battle wear on them. They can be pristine. They can have specific little minor cosmetic changes that even within one specific look have so many different variables that all impact how much anyone wants them. And because they're non-fungible, that means I don't actually think that this skin is worth 15 bucks. I think it's fine. But someone also come along and be like, "That could, I will pay $100 to get this. Or in your case, you're pointing out that this is and this is the craziest part. These are third party. This isn't within Steam. This isn't something that the kids are able to do within the Counter Strike game itself. They are going to a separate website where they are somehow putting up their own assets within Counter Strike to be given to someone else within Counter Strike. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how a lot of these gambling sites work, setting up these automated trading bots that will accept these bids, and then you can go ahead and place bets on the esports versions of these games and be able to potentially win some prizes. And of course, since these are unregulated gambling sites, there's all sorts of shenanigans that are going on. But what else is interesting is that you don't actually own any of these skins. If your Steam account gets banned for whatever reason, then you've suddenly lost all of these skins that you've earned and purchased in the game. Or if it gets hacked, someone can go in and just take the skins out of your account and send them to themselves, and there's nothing you can really do to get it back. There's not a lot of remediation at the Steam level. That's right. But that also probably is true for if we would go into a blockchain-type scenario. And so this, you said the magic word. So the most important thing, I need need you as our expert to be careful because I don't know a lot about the blockchain. And I don't know how many of our listeners know a lot about either. But there's an interesting way that this new technology that everyone keeps hearing about can help us. And it doesn't have anything to do with actually paying money necessarily. It's specifically the fact that the blockchain with big air quotes around it allows us to facilitate digital transactions in a way that assures the transaction is legitimate. Yes. And in doing so, I would be able to create a transaction with my CSGO skin and give it directly to Cam. And this would be done without having to use Steam at all. This would be done independently by just us as two people. And so this is kind of the bigger thing we want to get into was, as you'd mentioned before, there's going to be a new way we trade digital assets online. It's not, I'm going to buy these skins in CSGO, I'm going to buy these cards in Hearthstone, or even if I get the digital Magic the Gathering cards. It's going to become a place where I can buy a card 
And what I've really bought is this token. It represents the card inside of maybe the Hearthstone game, but it lives with me. It doesn't live within Hearthstone anymore. And so it is, in fact, my digital asset. It belongs specifically to Cameron. There's only this one copy of it, and it only this one copy belongs to me. And there might be other ones that are this specific card. But this exact specific card, just like if I'd bought a pack of cards for playing Magic the Gathering or whatever – and opened them up and had those cards in my hand. It's the equivalent in terms of ownership. That is correct. And having that sort of property allows other vendors in the space that are either making games or they could be making, let's just say, a forum. If they want to interact with your unique card or token in any way, they could choose to opt into this network, which Mm -hmm. would be the blockchain network that's running all of this, and then use that token in whatever way they see fit. Let's say that you unlock a specific rare card in Hearthstone, for example, and we'll say that Hearthstone implements this type of blockchain. Me as a forum operator or someone who's uh, running a website where people can post a bunch of different messages, I could then see if you own that specific card. And if you do, I might be able to give you a special badge on my forum. Mm-hmm. And all of that would just be independent of the the game creator just by you virtue of owning that token. I can just check the account that you signed up with, see if you have that, and if you do, give you some external nice thing. And that's that's the craziest thing about this is at the end of the day, you're not saying that you have this card. You're saying you have a token that can represent so many different things depending on the world you are now inhabiting. So maybe I got a Hearthstone card for like some crazy plant thing. But when I go into Overwatch, now I get a skin for my character that is some crazy plant thing related to whatever the Hearthstone card was. Yeah, and you could see this being incredibly valuable for a company like Blizzard who has you know all of these different games. So you gave the example of Overwatch, which is one of Blizzard's first-person shooter games. Now let's say you unlock a skin in Overwatch, and they issue you this token that represents the skin in Overwatch. Mm-hmm. But when you log into World of Warcraft, World of Warcraft checks to see if you still have that same token and now we'll give you a pet that is relative to that skin. And the real wild thing here is like in the example you gave, we're just jumping between Blizzard properties, which would make it sound like they shouldn't have a hard time doing something like that right now. But the bigger implication is what if I had actually decided to go over to say Facebook and now a Facebook group, if I joined it for Overwatch players, shows me this like skin next to my profile or does some like crazy filter on my profile to show that I have this skin. It's, it's proof of something I own as I move through the digital world. But then it also invites those same questions around ownership. How do I make sure that I'm avoiding counterfeiters? How do I make sure that if someone's going to sell me this token or trade me this token that's legit? Mm-hmm. And without going into the nitty gritty of it, I will just do some hand wavy magic mm-hmm. and say that there are cryptographic solutions that allow this to be possible. So another way to explain this is that individual parties would be able to then check what we would call the blockchain and be able to go back into time when this token was first minted, when it was first created, and be able to check the validity of it as it passed hands from person to person. And this this is done through some fancy cryptographic stuff. But the important thing to remember here is that everyone has the power to individually validate where it came from. And this is done through software. And so I guess an example of this would be, let's say I went to super cool game shop where I buy games and all the other things I like. That's the name of it, .llc. And while I'm there, I pick up my new pack of cards 
and I tear it open. I'm like, oh man, I got the super awesome obelisk, the destroyer. I don't remember. I'm trying to like drag yeah, out one, this. Yeah, yeah, that oh was my you, God, my you, Yu-Gi-Oh! One. Yu-Gi-Oh! lore from back in the he day. Was, he was the blue one that looked like he a was, rock. He was the big one. He was the rock of <laughs> Yu-Gi-Oh! cards. And what would happen is basically as soon as I bought stuff from that store, the store wouldn't actually like say that it sold me a pack. It would say it sold Cameron this exact pack of cards. And those cards would all have like little serial numbers on them, right? Special serial numbers that, for lack of a better word, cannot be duplicated. Or at least they cannot be duplicated in a way that wouldn't require me stealing this fancy book of all the purchases from the store in order to like goof with it to convince people otherwise. So later when I go to Jesse, I'm like, Jesse, I know he screwed with you with Raw, but I'm going to sell you Obelis the Tormentor for $20 and I hand it to you. You'd be able to actually go to the stores like, is this legit? Is this really an Obelisk the Tormentor card? Yes, and I would be able to do that all independently. And that is the best part is like you don't actually need me to walk with you to the store mm-hmm. to figure out if this card is real. You could basically have like a snapshot of the card and walk to the store and be like, yo, what up? Exactly. And I don't even I don't even need to trust you. I don't You don't even need to know me. You don't even know me right now. Where have we been for the last 20 minutes? <laughs> you you could be some random person online, for instance, mm-hmm. and as this situation would wind up happening. And then that's the best part of this, though, is that is not just true for fun video game stuff. It could be true for how we interact and trade goods moving forward. Imagine stocks being sold this way to guarantee that you have legitimate buyers and sellers. Or imagine having more transparency into real estate deals. There's so many other places where this digital footprint is very important to understand and we can really see it playing out on a global scale but games are also very fun games are very fun and i like them very much and that i think is a good spot to end jesse where can we find you if we want to learn more about your incredible knowledge of stuff i'm putting you on blast follow me on at bojack on twitter you're at bojack on twitter b-o-j-a-k and for the record i had this handle before the show As for us on Sway and Small Stuff, you can find us at Small Stuff Show on all social media, and you can go to our site, smallstuff.show. And if you haven't already, I know you have a friend out there. They play card games. They like to have fun playing the Vigi games, but they don't know about where their entire future is heading. I want you to sit them down. I want you to introduce them to this episode. I want you to introduce them to Jesse's sultry voice as he guides us through this journey into the digital landscape of the future. Till then, I've been your personal brain trainer, Cameron Boozer-Jamay, reminding you, from movies to media to the world around us, it's details like these that make it worth sweating the small stuff. This age-old problem we have, where it's so hard to prove that you actually have something, even when you have it in your hand. That's right. (laughs) I don't know why I thought you had more to add there. I thought I had more to add there too.